What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Chaz Pearson, and this is the Outlet Forum Podcast with my esteemed co-host, Chris Camello. What's up, Chris? What up, what up, Chaz? Another great show for you guys this week. The Las Vegas Aces have won their first ever WNBA title. And is Robert Sarver going to get his franchise taken away from him? I don't know. A few of those dominoes might begin to start falling. And we got your latest episode of Legacy Documentary of the Lakers on Hulu. Remember that time when Jerry West was told by Phil Jackson to get the F out of the locker room. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. We'll tell that story. But we got to start off first with a huge signing for the Lakers. Uh, not a huge signing uh, for the NBA. Not huge news. But for the Lakers, this meant everything. To get Dennis Schroeder back from the 2021 Lakers, he was able to sign a one-year $2.64 million contract with the Lakers this past week. And Chris, I just want to know, how does this move set up other moves for the Lakers. What does it mean for their rotation? I mean, the backcourt seems a little bit crowded now that you got Schroeder, Beverly, Russ, Nunn, Reeves, Lonnie Walker. That's a crowded backcourt and a crowded bunch of wings that you have. Pretty small, too. How do you see this working out for the Lakers? It sounds like Darvin Ham has his hands full, if you ask me. <laughs> well, first of all, to Dennis Schroeder, I just say, well, 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 look who comes crawling back. 82 million, <laughs> $81.3 million poor. He had an extension on the table. All he had to do was sign on the line that was dotted, to quote Alec Baldwin from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But he didn't do it. Decided to bet on himself, Chaz. We see athletes do this all the time. We, uh, not all the time, but we see them do it often. We're seeing Aaron Judge do it. You know, hey, I'm not going to sign this extension. I'm going to bet on myself. And now the guy just hit 60 home runs, and now he's probably hit his 60th home run just past the bay. Exactly. So my point being with that is sometimes those gambles pay off for a lot of these athletes. Hey, one-year deal, I'm going to show out. I'm going to show everybody what I can do. And then, boom, I'm going to hit the open market and get paid. With Dennis Schroeder, even though he had played well for most of the season for the Lakers, he got exposed late in the year and certainly got exposed in the NBA playoffs on a game pivotal game five without Anthony Davis. When they, when the Lakers needed somebody to step up and help a injured LeBron James, he put up a goose egg zero oh for nine oh for nine for a guy that was flapping his gums the whole series at Cameron Payne at, Chris Paul at just Devin Booker. De Devin Booker. But my point being is you're flapping your gums. And then when it was really time for you to shine on the road, that's what I think really sunk his value. It was that game in particular, but really you could make the argument the last weeks of the season, he was bad. So not only did you miss out on the extension, but now you hit the open market thinking that what you did was enough to at least get you a multi-year deal and still get you a handsome payday. It wasn't. You signed in the last month before the tra before training camp started with the Boston Celtics. It didn't work out well there. You get traded at midseason to the lowly Houston Rockets. They don't want to play, really play you that much because, you know, they got a rebuilding squad. They got a bunch of young players. So in the end, things have really backfired for Dennis Schroeder. I think he's upped his value for a good performance for Team Germany during the uh, Eurobasket tournament. But still. He's been playing great. Yeah, but now it's like I got to go back to where I last had some success alongside LeBron, alongside AD, 
I know Darvin Ham from my days in Atlanta, so he knows me. I know him, so there's some familiarity there. And now, hopefully, coming in hat in hand, hungry, healthy, maybe I could do something. So, is it a, is it a a great signing? It's a good signing, but it's a head scratcher. You got a crowded backcourt. What are the roles going to look like? You haven't addressed shooting. Your defense on the perimeter is questionable. So right now, Chaz, this, this is a C-minus roster. This is a play-in roster to me. I like the shooter pickup, but there's got to be something else that follows. Well, here's the thing. The, for number one, I'm, I'm a little bit more glass half full when it comes to the signing. I think it's probably the greatest value signing that the Lakers could have made outside of signing LeBron James to a two-year $97 million extension uh, like they did earlier last month. Because to get Schroeder's production, it didn't drop off. He was 15-5 and five for the Lakers in 2021. He was 14-4 and four for the Celtics and the Rockets last season. He's aver- averaging, was averaging 22-7-2 for Germany in the Eurobasket uh, tournament to get him for less than $3 million on a one-year deal to keep your flexibility, bring in a player that's already had some familiarity with AD and LeBron who already is going to know his role is going to give you some defensive tenacity that you already have with Beverly, but you just kind of shoring that up. You're really hedging your best bets against Russell Westbrook in case he doesn't buy into the role that Darvin Ham has carved out or is going to carve out for him, for him as well. So I think it's really an insurance policy, and it's going to give you another guard that starter caliber as well. This is a, a player that can start immediately. So between his defensive tenacity and his familiarity, I think he's going to play his way into a starting role with Russell Westbrook. And I, I think, think that's what under, it means. Yeah, no, no, that great point. Continue. I just wanted to kind of point out a flaw no, no, no. of what you said about my well, point but well ahead. i mean i just I, I i think that i mean hey i'm not counting the other man's pockets he left m- money on the table he thought that he could get some more money if he would have played it played better he didn't that's the gamble sometimes you know instead of rolling a seven you roll that snake eyes and you're out so that's just kind of the the roll of the dice for him but now as far as i'm concerned as far as a as being a laker fan and a, and a fan of the team and want to see them progress and be better as much as they can. I think Rob did the best thing that he could. And the funny thing is that Schroeder said, I've been quote unquote, I've been talking to the Lakers for the last three months. I knew I was going to come back, but I wanted to take my time. So he knew that this offer was on the table probably before the Lakers traded THT for Patrick Beverly and was able to bring this roster together. But for me, I think the question really begins. uh, It starts at where, where do all the minutes come from, you know, between I think that the starters are quite frankly going to be shorter in rusts that that's Russ is going to start. You're not going to pay him $47 million to bring him off the bench to start the season. Now, if he starts to play bad and he's not playing well in his role and you need to move him to the bench and elevate somebody else off the bench, like Patrick Beverly to start with shorter or, if there's been clamors within the practice arena, I'm sorry, the practice facility for the Lakers that Austin Reeves might get a starting spot. That makes for the sense Lakers because, because of his defensive tenacity as well. I personally think that Reeves and shorter, I tweeted this earlier is going to actually have the best net efficiency rating of any guard combo that Darvin Ham is going to put out there um, this upcoming season. So 
the question for me is it's really jumbled up between Nunn, Russ, Reeves, Beverly, Schroeder, and Lonnie Walker. I think of those players, Lonnie Walker might be the odd man out based on defense and based on, you know, just pick and roll and again, familiarity and just being able to be efficient as possible. So I like it for the Lakers. It gives them more depth. They have one more roster spot to go, but I do kind of think that it's a little eerie that they caught off a press conference that was scheduled for Wednesday. Utah makes a couple moves as well in picking up a couple two-way players. Don't know how many roster spots they have, but it's a little eerie trying to look into that to see, hey, is are the Lakers and Utah going to make a deal right before media day next Monday? We'll see. But either way, I like the Lakers' chances because they give themselves depth and options in the guard position, the wing position. Troy Brown is going to have to shoot almost 50% from three Toscano to get on Anderson the floor. And, get too. To, yeah. and Toscano, well, I think Toscano Anderson is going to play a lot of four. Next to Anthony, yeah, Davis but you're still going to need a space to floor, Jazz. You are everybody you are, now but, in the today's NBA. You got to be able to do two things. Yeah, got to be able yeah, to space the floor. Little, you got to be able jumbled to defend. Up. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I I hear what you're saying. And first of all, let me just say this: I think you misinterpreted my point. Yes, it's a bargain signing to get a guy of that skill set with the fam, fam, uh, familiarity with LeBron and and uh, and Anthony Davis and Darvin Ham is a bargain at two point six million. Considering you could have been stuck with this guy's contract over a span of three, four years paying them all, you know, damn near 84, $85 million. Absolutely. What I said was you, you're still not, you still have not really uh, addressed the need, which is shooting, which is size on the perimeter, which is is versatility. That is my issue with the signing. It's like, okay, you've got Westbrook, you've got Beverly. So here's, here's how I see this signing to be one Kendrick, Kendrick Nunn is still not healthy. He's got the worst bone bruise in the history of mankind. And two, like you said, and and you beat me to it, is Russ going to be here next week? That's really the biggest question. That's why you make a signing like that. That's why you pick up a guy like Patrick Beverly, or I should say trade for a guy like Patrick Beverly. None is going to be okay. I think it's funny that the Lakers see Patrick Beverly not as a point guard, but they see them as what we would think to be their three and D guard. Yeah, that um, makes no sense. I, to me I don't. At all. I don't. I don't. I don't really see that. I think it really. Rob Palenka is going to have to answer a lot of questions on media day. Yeah, that's, and a, that's I the hope dumbest he's thing I've ever heard. I think. I, I think that he's possibly hoping that a deal takes place. But as we have read from Sam Emick and Jovan Buha, friend of the show, uh, they had an article in the Athletic last Friday and talking talking about how the Dennis Schroeder signing. Uh, doesn't mean that Russ is going to be traded. Um, I th- actually think it means that uh, Russ is going to be here to stay to start the season because Dennis Schroeder is just additional insurance uh, in case Russ isn't as good. But I, I guarantee you this. I almost, I almost want to make a bet with you, Chris, that Russ is go- to for the first twenty games is going to be leaps not just better but leaps and bounds better than he was for the lakers to start the season last year for two reasons for two reasons okay for two reasons i want to hear this i think he's going to be better because he has guys like schroeder and beverly and nunn and reeves going to be up his ass defensively paying playing better than him defensively 
in training camp and because Darvin Ham is going to get the most out of Russ that Vogel wasn't able to because he just didn't have that respect for Vogel. Not to say that Vogel didn't warrant that times of respect because he is and was a championship coach, but it just didn't obviously vibe with him and Russ. For those two reasons, I think Russ is going to have a much better... Now, does that mean that the Lakers are going to be top four seed in the West and come out guns blazing? No, that doesn't mean that because that's how bad the Lakers were last year. You know, so Russ playing infinitely better just might mean that they start the first 20 games of the after the first 20 games, five or six seed instead of nine or 10 seed or even 11 seed in their case at the end of last year. So I'm glass half full on this. I think it could work or the chances are that it might not. Yes, but there are there is a chance that it could work. And I put really put that money on Darvin Ham and Anthony Davis, the health of Anthony Davis. Well, first of all, Dennis Schroeder, what we forgot, he was runner up two years ago, uh, or I should say now going on three years to Montrez Harrell for six man of the year. So he at was. least with Schroeder, so you talked about him starting to be quite honest, the best role for him would actually be to come up off the bench with Kendrick Nunn have kind of like a two guard type. I agree. Si- situation there. So you would it, start, you would start who Russ and I guess you would have to consider starting Beverly. Beverly, but you need a shooter out there. So that's why I would almost consider, because I, I got to imagine they're going to start either Damian Jones or Thomas Bryant next to AD, right? AD's not going to start at three. Okay, so Thomas Bryant, AD together, right? LeBron at the three. And it's going to have to be some combination of Beverly, Russ, and Reeves. That's what it's going to have to end up being. So somebody's going to have to be able to come up off the bench, right? And so it's just... You're small. That's what I don't like is that no matter how you slice this, Chaz, however you slice the lineups, you're going to be small in some regard. You're either going to be small in the starting lineup or you're going to be small coming up off off the bench. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same point in time, it's like, are these guys going to be able to match up with teams with bigger wings like the Clippers, like the Denver Nuggets, like Golden State? You know what I mean? That's, That's the concern I have. So... More than likely, I think you're right. Russ is going to start the season. I've been saying this for a while now. If you haven't gotten a deal done by now, chances are you're not going to get one done, period. I know there's rumblings about Bogdanovich. All the Indiana talk has gone completely silent. It kind of feels like if it's not going to be Utah, uh, yeah, no, silence of the lambs. Hello, Clarice. I mean, it's either going to be Utah and a deal for either Beasley or Bogdanovich or Clarkson or one of those guys. By the way, Clarkson doesn't solve he solves your shooting problems. He doesn't solve your size problem on the perimeter, or it's going to be, this is who we're rolling with. We've got insurance now in case Russ doesn't work out and he doesn't buy in and doesn't play well and doesn't fit well next to everybody else. Then we could package him off or tell him to go home. And we know we're not going to lose much in the guard production. Why? Cause we'll have Beverly Schroeder and hopefully Kendrick Nunn. That's where I think the strategy is at this point. That's correct. I agree. The Spurs could be a team that's still lurking as well. I don't so, buy it, but okay. I, I don't buy it, could, but okay. They they could be lurking if it goes so bad for the Lakers that they have to give up two picks. They'll be in the running for those two picks along with Indiana, Utah, and everybody else. If that That's the best-case scenario for everybody else in the league. They're just hoping and praying that the Lakers start out the first 20 games 5-15 and 15, and Russ, it looks absolutely miserable, and the Lakers can't even win a game with a healthy LeBron and AD. That's what the rest of the league is hoping for, 
when get when possibly getting this cap space and these two picks. But I don't think it's going to happen for the two reasons that I gave before that. Uh, moving on to another portion of the Los Angeles Lakers, the legacy documentary on Hulu. Chris, it just keeps getting better and better, right? I mean, now we're at the point of the documentary. I believe it's episode six that was just shown this past week. Seven. And episode seven. Seven. Sorry. Excuse yeah. me. Okay. Who's counting? Chris. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this past episode was great. I, The thing that stood out to me the most, and obviously it goes into, it starts, picks up in 2000, and I'd say probably goes into 2004 when Shaq left and was traded to Miami. Well, he didn't leave. He was traded by Dr. Buss to Miami for uh, Brian Grant, Lamar Odom, and... Karan Butler. Karan Butler. I almost said Chris Mim. Um, No, but they did get Chris Mim that summer. That was a deal they made with Boston. They did. They did. To offload Gary Payton. But the, the... the story starts out, they kind of just go through these three championships like it was so easy. They didn't even really kind of stop and talk about some of the performance. They did highlight the Sacramento series, they the Ori, yeah. game four or three. You know, there was, there was certain stuff. But the thing that stood out to me was the fact that Phil Jackson told Jerry West, get the F out of my locker room in the beginning of the 1999-2000 season Actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, same season. Yeah. And Phil Jackson and Jeannie Buss dating just caused a rift in the front office. And Jerry Buss really had no choice but to accept the resignation of Jerry West. Jerry West did not like, you know, kind of the dynamic with Phil Jackson. And Phil is that type of personality. And he carried that championship pedigree, obviously, with the back-to-back three-peats with the Bulls. Um, Jerry West didn't have as much of a say as Phil Jackson did when it came to Phil Jackson's team and the meat and potatoes of the team, like the locker room, like practice, all the stuff that we hear about today with Kurt Rambis and Rob Palenka sitting in on Vogel this past season. So it's really weird to say, but is it surprising to you, Chris, that Phil Jackson punked Jerry West 20, 22 years ago? Well, to give this some context you got to go back to the chicago days and how things ended with jerry krause the former the former executive general manager of the chicago bulls and krause handpicked jackson put him on doug collins's staff fired doug collins after the 89 season hired phil jackson and jackson basically took off the team was on the cusp of doing some great things and phil took it and ran now When you start having success, it starts to now make your head a little bit bigger. The ego starts to become a problem. And now everybody wants, everyone's quick to deflect the blame, Chaz, but everybody wants a piece of that credit for the success, right? So I think, I think Phil always, what made him special was the fact that he always bonded with his players. He was a former player himself former NBA champion, saw what great teams can do with Willis Reed, Clyde Frazier, Dave DeBuscher, Bill Bradley, and and the rest, and coached by the great Red Holtzman. That was Jackson's uh, early role model and somebody he looked up to on the coaching end. So Phil understood it takes a team. We all got to be pulling in the same direction. We all got to focus on winning basketball. Shaq, stop doing as much music. Kobe, learn how to pass. Learn how to get your teammates involved because if we're going to accomplish anything, 
It's going to be us doing it together, not one versus five. He told Michael the same thing. Now, the way, now going back to West, look back at how things ended with Kraus. Kraus started to feel that Jackson was getting too much of the praise, too much of the credit. The players respected him more than he did, uh, more than they did with Jerry Kraus, right? And the way Kraus handled things, particularly that final year in 98, left a sour taste in Jackson's mouth to the point where I don't think he ever really trusted an executive again. Didn't he say and, if you could go 82 and 0 and right. still not come back? So fast forward. Disrespect. Exactly. So fast forward to 99, 2000. That is still fresh in Phil's mind. This wasn't something that happened 10 years earlier. Now, you know, granted, Jerry West is in a different situation, right? Two years earlier. Yeah, two years earlier. So that thing is still fresh in, in, in Phil's mind. And the thing about it was Phil from the onset was like, I am going to keep my distance from you because I don't trust. It's not Jerry West could be the salt of the earth and one of the great talent evaluators of all time. And in my opinion, he is, but you're still an executive and I don't want you to undermine my authority as a head coach, because I need these players to buy into what I want. And if you're in the mix and it doesn't quite jive to what you want to do, now that's going to create a problem and nobody's going to get anywhere. And I think that's a, a big reason why Jerry West left. I think you kind of heard two different sides. Phil was citing Jerry's health. Jerry cited his own health. He cited the pressure, the anxiety, everything got too much. But at the same point in time, I think the disrespect he got from Phil, the distance he got from Phil, the fact that the buses sided with Phil, that was the straw that broke the camels back to the point where I've lost this organization. They've turned on me a little bit. And they decided to go with him. Fine, go with him. So the foundation is there. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go be happy. And yeah, by the way, I, somebody else to blame for this. And I said this before with Kraus and Jackson. I blame Jerry Reinsdorf for not getting in the middle and really trying to bring the two sides together. And I also blame Dr. Jerry Buss for not doing uh, this. You can't blame yes, Dr. I Buss. Can. You got you to blame Jeannie more than Dr. Buss. And, and somebody else I'm going to blame too. I'm going to blame Phil as well for not giving Jerry the benefit of the doubt, because don't forget Chaz, these guys played in the same era. They were right around the same age. Amen. They were both ex players. So why would you, why would you give the same disrespect to Jerry West as you gave to Jerry Krause? That, that to me didn't make any sense. He could have been more collaborative and he wasn't. So your greatest strength could also be your biggest weakness. And that's a big reason why Jerry West is, was no longer with the organization. And that's fine. And he could take his ass to the Warriors. He could take his ass to the Clippers. He could take his ass wherever he wants to be. Uh, and the reason why I say that, and I, I, I say that respectfully for Jerry West because, because I obviously I have respect for him, but I, I don't, you know, some of the stuff that he, he has said in his time since being with uh, the Clippers in terms of calling Balmer the greatest owner who hasn't won anything, um, you know, and if he says it's all about winning, it, it, then it really is. Either way, at the end of the day, life is life, such as life, to where Jerry West had to go to give who a, a chance? Mitch Kupchak, who has turned out to be one of the greatest general managers that this league has ever seen in creating, you know, championship teams with the Lakers, the scouting department within the Lakers, uh, training, you know, getting trained by Jerry West himself in order to train people like uh, Joey and, and Jesse Bust, who are have become great scouts and Jim as well. Credit any, any work with Jim and, well, and, yeah, and Jimmy and Jim Bust, yeah. Um, 
shout out Bill Burka as well, uh, who's a legend in his, in his own right, obviously stands by himself. But uh, yeah, I just, I, regardless of whoever's to blame, such is life. And that's just kind of how it goes. And I, I, I don't think, I think the, the hardest part about losing Jerry West was that the fiasco with Kobe Bryant that they're going to, going to get into, I believe, next episode in 2007 when Kobe asked to be traded and said he would rather play on Pluto than for the Lakers, that wouldn't have happened if Jerry West was still the general manager instead of Mitch Kupchak. Um, Kobe and Shaq's feud and how that kind of played out as well. Like it, it's different. It wasn't social media times. You, all you had was the newspaper. You were actually starting to get articles on NBA.com and on the internet, but the way people still consume news is was the previous day's paper or live radio. So Kobe Bryant at that time, you know, gets pulled into a meeting with, uh, I believe they said Mitch, Mitch had Kobe and, Somebody else had Shaq. Mitch Mitch had Kobe and Phil had Shaq. Phil had Shaq. And by the way, what I'll say about Mitch, you you may call him a company man or whatever, and I know the players didn't quite respect him, but God damn it, that dude was a great collaborator with the front office, with the bus family, and with most importantly with Phil. I thought that was huge. He was. But my point is that like the way that news was consumed at that time the media played a role in that Kobe and Shaq feud because they were trying to get the scoop Shaq sitting down with Stephen a talking about certain stuff at that time, because they were boys. Stephen a was also boys with Kobe as well, but Kobe went to Jim gray who then put out an article saying that, okay, if it's Shaq's team, then how about Shaq not come to camp fat and out of shape. This was after Shaq said that sure. I get hurt on company time. I rehab on company time, of course. Um, which was, which was the absolute, I think probably the yeah. worst thing to say as a Laker next to Russ's comments last year, as a Laker saying that there's no expectations. Like those two quotes to me are some of the worst Laker quotes of all time. Like but that's Jazz, not what the franchise this is a stands bi- for at all. Right. And let me just, I think you're bringing up great points. This is what I was saying earlier, the byproduct of success. Now it breeds ego. It brings selfishness because it's like, yeah, now that I got these championships, guess what? I want to now cash in. I want a new contract. I want to prove that I'm the man. I want this. I want that. I, I, I. Not about the team anymore. You know what I mean? And Kobe went through a dark path that season between everything he was dealing with off the court with the sexual assault allegations to the feud with Shaq, to the fact that I think he wanted to now chart his own path and be like, you know what? Nobody's giving me any credit for these freaking championships over here. So you know what? My only way to prove myself is to go out on my own away from the shadow of Shaq and away from the shadow of Phil Jackson. Otherwise, I'm never going to get any respect. So Kobe's dealing with all these different things. Shaq wants a new contract. He's burned out with Kobe. Phil is basically calling Kobe uncoachable. He now doesn't have a new extension. And it's basically become Shaq and Phil against Kobe. And I hate to say this again, the bus family. Hey, I remember at that time I was an 04. I was 14. Me too. I never blamed. I never blamed Kobe. I knew that you kept Kobe instead of Shaq because Shaq was older, regardless 
of if Shaq was still dominant. I knew he was going to win another championship. He did that next year or uh, two years later in in 06. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn. But I think the the funniest part, and I'll end this segment with Flea saying that he was (laughs) on tour in Europe watching the finals at 4, 3, 4 in the morning or whatever time it was in in order to watch uh, in U.S. time. And he said, I watched the Lakers lose to the fucking Pistons. I was so pissed. And I thought that that quote, that part, and the way that he said that was just so true because I, as a 14-year-old graduating eighth grade, watching the Lakers lose to the Detroit Pistons, who didn't even have a star player at that time, but one of the great all-time greatest teams in Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Billup, Billups, Rip Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, one of the greatest teams of all time. Coached by Larry Brown. I'm Coach sure it felt, by Larry Brown. Yeah, um, sure it felt good for him to get some revenge after the Lakers waxed his Sixers in 01, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, just, I just thought that, that that part was dope. And I And if Jerry West was the GM, the feud wouldn't have went down like that. Jerry West would have been able to speak with Shaq and get him to lead with Kobe a lot better. But that's just not how it went. But the jewelry was still one. The dynasty still lived on. And you still were now they should have they should have won five or six together. They really yeah, no doubt. But, but once again, but that requires easy. sacrifice in some aspects. Sacrifice your ego, sacrifice your pride, sacrifice financials. That's what it takes. And I think that is the one thing that really upsets me about the breakup. And we've been watching that, Chaz, re-watching that. I agree with you because I was 14 as well. I remember going through my eighth grade graduation and we're all kind of looking at each other, shaking our heads because we were all diehard Laker fans in middle school. So it's like, yeah, we should be happy. We're graduating middle school, but instead we're sad because the Lakers just got waxed by the Detroit Pistons in five games. But I think they're all culpable in that. And there's one more thing I wanted to point out on legacy, the identity issues of the kids of Johnny, of Jimmy, of Jeannie and how they're trying to live up to maybe their dad's expectations, get their dad to be proud of them. You know what I mean? Sign off on what they're doing and kind of like, is this for me? Like you kind of all see that doubt with the exception of maybe Jeannie, she kind of bought in early, but you're seeing Johnny, even though he had success with the sparks wanting to step down, you see Jim trying to find his way as a scout, as an executive and everything like that struggle with that. And, And now you're seeing the tension start to brew between all three of them. And, it's just, it's difficult when you are the heirs to the crown and you're measured to, to what your dad did. And you're, you're seeing how they all struggled with that in various different ways. And, uh, you know, all different types of reasons why. Yeah. You're never, you're never going to be better than the original. That's just, that's usually never the case. Like, like people, not Kobe, just because he's not Jordan, not because he wasn't better or didn't play as good or win as much. Like it, he was just the second version of something that, you know, they'd never seen, even though there's things that Kobe did that Jordan never did. Um, and there's certain things that Jerry Buss did that Jeannie's never going to be able to do. So there's certain dominoes that have to fall in place for it to work out a certain way, but the dominoes may continue to fall in place for Jeannie. We'll see in this upcoming season. You know what other dominoes might be falling though soon, Chris? Hit me with it. I'll tell you on the other side of this break. 
You know what? Here's to going for it. And being terrible. Here's to giving it a shot, even though your shot is uh, garbage. To being the queen of the court. Oh, maybe not this court. To feeling the burn, even if there shouldn't be a burn to feel. To trying your best, even though your swing is the worst. Here's to going down way harder than you get back up. To giving it your all. Even though you kind of suck. But you know what doesn't suck? <laughs> Trying to do something you've never done before. That doesn't suck at all. Not even a little. Welcome back to the Outlet Forum podcast. In case you haven't already done so, be sure to download and follow all our podcasts on all major streaming platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio. And of course, we're on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating. Drop a comment. And let's get that dialogue started. Uh, you can also check us out on nightcastmedia.com, N-I-T-E-C-A-S-T media.com. Go to the shows tab and click on the outlet form. So, Chaz. What up? Robert Sarver, as we know, last week got a very weak punishment, $10 million, which is basically the equivalent of 100 bucks to common Joes like you and me. He's and not even one- worth a bill, though. Let me just make it clear. He's only worth $850 million. Jeez. So I mean, how's he going to live? It's not as small of a drop in the bucket as what other people may have thought. But All right. I will oh my say gosh. 10 mil is 10 mil. Yeah, oh my proceed. gosh. So so he'll be what eating eating out of garbage bins in no time. Oh my god. Again, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not one to count another man's pockets, but hey, well, in this case, in this okay, but 10 million and a one-year suspension was relatively light given what we found out. And the first thing I wanted to point out, Adam Silver, that press conference, and you know, hats off to Howard Beck. That was a damn good question he asked him, a very real one, too. If that was anybody else. So-and-so would be fired, but because it's an owner, it becomes a lot more of a complex and a difficult situation. And silver, great question. It was a great question. And silver didn't really have a clear answer on it. Silver's answer basically said in so many words, Hey, there are bylaws. I have to follow those. And there's other owners here that I, that I report to what, what do you want me to do? Unless all these owners, just like they did with Sterling, basically say, do what you have to do. Get them out of here. My hands are tied and it's very rare that you see Adam Silver in that kind of corner, but it was just such a, there was a lot of disappointment from LeBron James, from Chris Paul, from the entire NBA community. And most recently, this is what we heard from Draymond Green, who basically almost gave the owners an ultimatum. Listen to this. All right. So let's have the vote because then also what we'll know is who else may be standing behind closed doors and Based on these votes, what you will know is values. Like, what, what are the values of others that, you know, quite frankly, we're playing for? We will simply know who stands with us and who don't. It's easy to sit back and not say nothing. I'm asking that there be a vote. If that's the only way, then let's see what those numbers are. That was on his recent podcast. And Chaz. I don't he, hate it. Yeah. I mean, let vote on this. If you stand for all these things, and Chaz, you pointed this out last week. If you're gonna, if if you're gonna stand with this guy and give him that light of a suspension and basically leave him off the hook, then stop doing the MLK days. Stop doing the shirts. Stop 
releasing all these statements, acting like you care about what we care about. And now Draymond's basically putting that into action. Like if you guys really care about standing for integrity and dignity and, you know, human decency and all these things, then put your money where your mouth is at this point and get rid of this guy or don't. And now we will truly know if the cockroaches are in the wall or not. Yeah. So man, you, you made so many great points. I I, I want to say that before I kind of give my opinion, I want to lay out a few pieces of facts. Adam Silver obviously had his press conference last week um, after the uh, board of governors meeting talking about the state of the NBA, but you know, like you said, that question by Howard Beck, that was great. Um, many people have said it, but I want to articulate the fact that this was the worst press conference that I've ever seen Adam Silver give, ever. He just looked completely befuddled, um, unprepared, um, and just was not ready for the shrapnel of criticism that was just heading his way and the questions and follow-up questions that great reporters had for him. Um there have been dominoes to fall for Robert Sarver. Uh, Tamika Tremaglio, the executive director of the NBPA, Players Association for the NBA, um, has come out and had a lot to say uh, in an interview with Malika Andrews, saying that the players, she speaks for all the players abundantly that think that he should not have any place in the NBA or with the Phoenix Suns organization. Now, He's going to Robert Sarver will be removed from all business with the Phoenix Suns over the course of the next year. But what does it look like for Robert Sarver coming back and knowing that he did and said all these things and created this workplace environment for almost two decades, but only has to spend a year away? How are you going to reintegrate this guy into the fold? It's just it's not it's not becoming of what the NBA is trying to do or be especially with the shirts and the slogans and the, all the events and the outreach, which I think is great, but it is. you're just undercutting, you're undercutting those efforts and all of the progress that you made in investing in those programs by not doing something so simple as removing somebody that has given you all of the evidence that he's against what those programs and what your efforts are striving for. So with Robert Sarver, I think he needs to be out. Do the Phoenix Suns need to be sold from up under his nose? No. That doesn't mean that he can't have ownership stake in the team. That just means that he could, just needs to be removed. He can be banned from the league without, without removing his ownership stake in the team. He's not even a majority, majority owner. And there's another minority owner um, who has come out with a statement that has said that has called for the removal of Robert Sarver from the ownership group and the banning of him from the NBA. Uh, PayPal, a sponsor, has said that if Robert Sarver is, they didn't remove themselves immediately, but they said next year, if Robert Sarver's still with the team, then they may have to, you know, pull out uh, their investment in the Phoenix Suns. There's no other sponsors that have dropped at all. So, there's not as many dominoes falling that I would like to see. I need more momentum to get Robert Sarver out immediately. And I think, unfortunately, that falls on the players because if the players aren't going to stand for it, then there's nobody else that will. Monty Williams and the coach, head coach for the Phoenix Suns, his role in all of this is going to be 
magnified, especially come Monday at uh, NBA Media Day when he and Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the rest of the organization will be asked for the first time publicly what they think about what needs to be done with Robert Sarver, what he said, if they saw anything, all of those questions are going to right. be asked as they weren't asked in November. They weren't no. by reporters. Why? For what reason? Why the story didn't get as much attention? Well, because the investigation was still ongoing. You can't comment on an active you, investigation. You can't. You and can't, so, and but... also too, you're right in the heart of the season. So it's like, you know, if something comes out, if findings come out before then, we'll act on it. But in the meantime, let the law firm and the NBA do their thing on this guy before we start jumping to any conclusions. Because remember, Chaz, this, even with all these findings, there wasn't the smoking gun. There wasn't somebody on tape. There wasn't an email that really showed like, a like what we saw with John Gruden or the tape. So what we saw with, with uh, Donald Sterling, where it's like, yeah, we can't refute that. This is all based on eyewitness testimony over a span of 18 years. So that's why it's been a real slippery slope on why there hasn't been more immediate action on this guy. Let me, let me say this in wake of the Donahue documentary that has just dropped in the last month on Netflix. Good one too. The, the NBA has shown you that they can cover up and they can influence whatever story they want to. Mm. And for David Stern to keep the lid on the Donahue situation and that story by not letting that go to trial and letting all of the dirty laundry for the NBA come out and for the sake of the integrity of the game, I think he did the right thing. But that gave you gives you all the proof to know that the NBA can bury a story if they wish to do so. And they have tried to do so as much as they can on this story, because the punishment comes out the same at the same, literally the same time as Baxter home is, is able to release his report of all of the findings and everything. Like how, how does the punishment come at the same time as the fight? No, you knew and the findings have happened, but you're trying to create this narrative and put it in a certain light. And you're trying to sneak it in right as the NFL season is starting right before training camp. So it doesn't get as much media publicity. Adam Silver was groomed in the shadow of David Stern for more than two, maybe even three decades. Adam Silver knows how to do the same exact thing David Stern did with Donaghy. And I think that Adam Silver is going to try to do the same thing here because he said himself, did he have the authority to suspend Robert Sauber for more than a year? Yes. Why didn't he? Because he didn't want the pushback from the ownership group and them starting the slippery slope, which I think is absolute bullshit because the right thing is the right thing to do, regardless of what anybody else thinks and whatever kind of pressure that they're going to put on you. And you're you right, speak, Chaz. You're you right. Work Chaz. For, you, work for the, you work for the owners, but you have a higher calling as the commissioner of the NBA in my opinion, I, with things like this, when it comes to misogyny and racism and yeah. things of that nature, there there's no man that needs to be able to loom over you in doing the right thing. Your integrity is all that you have. And right now, Adam Silver, I'm not questioning it. I just have a hard time believing that he didn't take a harder stance, knowing that he had the opportunity to do so, but just didn't want the uncomfortability 
of the other 29 owners and the questions coming from them. He would have preferred them coming from us, not them. And that's where we are. Two things. The one thing that these guys all fear, the owners, the league, everybody, fear more than a negative bottom line is a negative headline, which could also have an adverse effect on their bottom line. So that's the one thing. It's like, man, scandal. We've got, like you said, we've got to try to put this out there into context to minimize the damage and have a little bit of a softer landing. That's one. Two, the pressure of the owners saying, if you go against this guy, this is the potential fallout. And it won't just be you that he comes after. He'll come after all of us. He'll find out who actually sold him out and who wanted to sacrifice him to the wolves. And he may come after you on a lawsuit, but he'll go after us in the media and say, you'll never guess what I heard Vivek Ranadev say. You'll never guess what I heard Mark Cuban say. You'll never guess what I've heard James Dolan say, or whoever it is, Joe Sy. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised about that. Right. James Mickey Dolan. Harrison, the, uh, Paul, uh, the family of Paul Allen, Gail Benson down in New Orleans, whoever it may be. Gail Benson. Oh, Ex- my point being, exactly. My point being is, you mentioned something interesting last week. You said this guy doesn't have allies. So maybe he doesn't, but maybe what he does have is some dirt that could be explosive, not just on the owners themselves, but it could have an adverse effect and a domino effect on the rest of the league. And it could sink everything. So it's like, you know what? You may burn me, but I'm going to burn you right back. I will burn this village in order to save it. So I understand what you're saying. The morality, higher calling. But when it comes to matters of business and billions of dollars at stake, it is such a difficult call because then it's like, what business are you in? Are you in the morality business or are you in let's make billions business? That's really what all this comes down to, man. Well, don't forget, this involves the Phoenix Mercury as well, the WNBA team. And, uh, you know, in light of all of this, speaking of the WNBA, the WNBA now has crowned their champion for the 2021-2022 WNBA season. The Las Vegas Aces were able to close out the Connecticut Sun in four games. It was a uh, 3-1 win by the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, Chelsea Gray was Mm. absolutely amazing. Asia Wilson gets her first WNBA championship. And... I just love the fact that all the support that they got from Vegas, Mark Davis coming in and being there when his Raiders are, you know, playing a game, uh, a great game that they lost. He picked uh, the right. He picked the right. He picked the right destination. He he did pick the right destination, especially (laughs) after coming off that loss. Uh, But Chris, what did you make of uh, the Aces winning their first WNBA title, and what does this mean for the WNBA moving forward? Uh, in terms of maybe marketability and, you know, expansion for them in terms of, uh, you know, visibility uh, to the general public as well. Well, first of all, the, the they were the best team all year, pretty much. Uh, they, I, I said it from the beginning. Aces are going to probably be in the finals. I thought the sky would be right there with them and Candace trying to go for a repeat championship. And it didn't happen, but Connecticut gave him a heck of a ride. Shout out to Kurt Miller. He's done a tremendous job. They got a talented, hardworking group over there. Nobody expected him to get that far. So, I mean, to challenge the aces up until the final couple of minutes of that game four, when Raquana Williams, the next spark goes off and really gives the aces a shot in the arm. It allowed 
Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum and Asia Wilson to basically turn out the lights and put the kids to bed, uh, so to speak, and, and end that series. So congratulations to everybody involved. Congratulations to Nikki Fargus, the Aces president, Natalie Williams, the general manager. Uh, you mentioned Mark Davis, who, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it feels good for him. Uh, he hasn't had much to win throughout his tenure as owner of the Raiders, taking over for his dad, Al. Hey, shout out to the late, great Al Davis. Just win, baby. Uh, Just win. So, so I'm sure this feels really special for him. And also, too, uh, to Becky Hammond, rookie head coach, showed she was the right person for the job. So shout out to her um, showing that, yeah, she's got the, she's got the grit and she's got the, the charisma to lead a group uh, to victory. But also, too, Bill Lambeer, really laid the foundation. He founded a lot of those players, um, you know, Asia Wilson, Jackie, Jackie Young, uh, Kelsey Plum. He signed uh, Chelsea Gray last season after the Sparks cut ties with them. So there's a lot of credit to go around. But in the end, the Aces, they just had the best team. They had the most improved player. They had the best coach. They had the best player in Asia Wilson. And Chelsea Gray, finals MVP, well-deserved. She was fantastic the entire playoffs. And Chaz, I, I want to point something out on a side note. Are you going to go there or am I going to go there? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to Kobe to Shaq you right now. So, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm Kobe and you're, you're about to be Shaq ready to spin. What the hell does this say about the LA sparks? And I covered this team. I had the opportunity, even though it was virtually to cover Candace Parker, to cover uh, Chelsea gray. I mean, I did cover them a little bit in person, but most when I was covering that team full time, it was during the pandemic when they were in the wobble and then a lot of things were, were virtual, but they cut ties with them. Derek Fisher, I should say, cut ties with them. Just let them walk. Gray and Parker probably thought they were washed. We want to go in a different direction. We want to get younger, blah, blah, blah. You may have gotten younger. You didn't get better. And you let, you let two great players, one, a future hall of famer. And likely mm, I think mm, Chelsea mm. Gray, I think Chelsea Gray is headed toward that way as well. The point God, so to speak, or as I like to call her, Mrs. Big Shot. And within two years, they went into a great situation, a more stable situation. Candace Parker wins a championship in 2021. Chelsea Gray wins one this season and his finals MVP. Both. Let them Both. walk for nothing, Chaz. No sign and trade, no attempt to re-sign and try to make it work with Neko Gumake. No, we're just going to let them walk. It goes to show you the, the dysfunction of the LA Sparks and how well run these other teams are. Well, that's what happens when you give a lot of the power to Derek Fisher. I have a source, a family member of mine is a Spark staffer, and I've gotten to hear about a lot of things that go on within that organization. It, it It's disheartening to me um, hearing about the previous president, um, the current president, the previous GM. Obviously, there was a scandal on, on how, you know, the previous GM was let go by saying, uh, some profane language in the locker room after a loss. Yeah. Um, Penny, Penny, but Toller. that's what happened. Penny, Penny Toller. Toller. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's what happens when you give certain people who don't need that type of power, the power Derek Fisher is the one to blame in all of this. Okay. Now you let him go. And now you're the ones with egg on your face at the end of the day. But I think this says more so about Chelsea and Candace and their perseverance and their commitment to their craft and the game and not cheating the game, mm. regardless of where they go, they're going to be winners, whether it be for the Sparks, whether it be for the Sun, I'm sorry, for the Aces, whether it be uh, for the Chicago Sky, doesn't matter where they are, put them on any anywhere on God's green earth and they still going to make it work. 
as Jay-Z would say. So like for them, especially Candace, I, I can't believe they let her go, especially last year when she won the what the the WNBA championship and yeah. and to see how Chelsea Graves absolutely balling, mm. giving people in and out, step back, Bobby Jack threes. Like it's just it's nasty. So shout out to them for persevering. Sorry, our hometown sparks got egg on their face. They got a long way to go to get back to the mountaintop, but can't hate. Uh, I love the fact that Kelsey Plum really hit that shot that really sealed the deal as well. And I love the the whole, the face that she was making and just the mood. And Asia Wilson has been an absolute vibe. I know <laughs> she was lit. She was turned up. She was saying, everybody got to come with shots. They had their parade. I think we have some audio from that. Don't we, Chris? Yeah, let, yeah. No, the, well, I mean, this is, this is iconic. I actually want to play this after they won it all. And they had been partying for quite some time, but... Chaz, just listen to Asia and, and, and you can't help but smile and just be like, I want to party in that locker room right now. Take a listen. Tell Vegas how they should come into this parade and the energy level and where it's going to be at. You have to take four shots. Children, take shots of ginger ale. But you got to take four shots before you pull up to the parade and drink responsibly. But in order to get to the parade, you got to be four shots in. It's unacceptable what? if you're not. The, uh, the Bellagio fountains, we skiing across that thing. We going crazy because, like, I don't think people understand how important this really is. This is huge. So Vegas, turn up. I saw the cops with our logo on the car. Y'all better lace up because we about to go crazy. <laughs> so this is what <laughs> makes this is what makes this squad marketable. It's brash personalities. They like to dance. They like to. You know, they like to twerk. They like to drink. I mean, heck, Kelsey Flum was smoking a cigar uh, near Caesars Palace during the, hey, during the parade. I mean, there is a lot of swag within that group, and they're all under contract for next year. So you want to talk about it being great for Vegas? It's great for the WNBA because this could be the first step to getting them even more marketability. They've been trending in the right direction the last couple of years, but this is a team that – you will tune in to watch on a, on a certain afternoon and be like, I want to see what they're up to. And furthermore, I want to see how they're going to celebrate. And, and we got to see all of that, man. I mean, what'd you we think? Did. We did. I, I, I thought it was great. Um, I, I just think that the pictures that my favorite picture is this picture of Asia Wilson with the trophy at the parade. Um, she's wearing some Versace shades looking, you know, dripped out. I, I just love the fact that, you know, women's basketball, women's sports are 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 put on the map and they're given the spotlight and the shine that they need. And that every chance that these women got, um, they still spoke out for Brittany Griner, who reportedly her family has met with the president, Joe Biden, who has, uh, you know, expressed deepest condolences and has expressed patience, uh, you know, for the family. But obviously you can only be so patient without having, um, you know, a family member and a spouse of yours, um, in her wife's case, um, be away from you for so long. But shout out to the WNBA, shout out to women's sports, um, shout out to the Las Vegas Aces and the city of Las Vegas yes. who did them right and have invested in them. And uh, let's continue to see it and let's see it keep going. Hopefully, maybe Vegas might get an NBA team that maybe not after uh, Seattle, uh as well might might get a team but hey it's about that time chris it's about that time for my favorite part of the show it's the social media post of the week 
I got so many options. I don't know who to go with, where to go with. I got to give you the floor first. A lot of funny shit happening over the course of the last week or so. Chris, give it to me, man. What's your social media post of the week? Well, well, Chaz, you know, you're supposed to say I'm a roast. Base me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Chaz is like, yeah, yeah. Stupid (laughs) joke, but okay. Um, Base base me. (laughs) So this is from, this is from at uh, the prism 89. The guy's name is Jonathan. And it says, if you ever feel dumb or stupid at some point, just kindly remind yourself that Dennis Schroeder turned down a four-year, $84 million extension from the Lakers just to leave and come back on a one-year, $2.64 million deal. Ugh. Oh, Dennis. <laughs> He's not Dennis. wrong, though. He ain't wrong. I mean, He's not. But, an but $82 it, million dollar pay cut, my friend. It is, what it I was hurts. saying earlier. It, it just it just hurts to, to hear him say that. But uh, I think I think you'll like this one. Mine comes from uh, at we underscore Bay underscore Bryce. We Bay Bryce. Uh, he said, Arthur Smith, the coach of the Atlanta Falcons, making me watch Kyle Pitts line up and block again. <laughs> and it's a picture <laughs> from Casino when they were beating up uh, Dominic his brother and uh with baseball bats before they threw him into the ditch right uh, blood blood blooded them all up and it, it's the you know a picture of uh uh what's his name man i forget joe, joe I forget pesci joe pesci yeah they're making yeah. they're holding his face and making him look at him frankie so, uh, you piece yeah, of yeah frankie yeah yeah so dude uh, one of my Arthur favorite Smith, scenes one of my favorite movies yeah God, he man. he just he kept making Kyle Pitts block against the Los Angeles Rams. Part of the reason why the Atlanta Falcons were down 28 to three at one point, we won't talk about how the Falcons came back. The Rams came out of there with the win. I was sweating bullets in that stadium. Luckily I was able to leave with the Rams at one and one, but that's my social media post of the week. Bunch of other funny nominees that I might save until next week. Mm. Chris, another great show. Mm. You guys know where to follow me on Instagram at, Chaz P on Twitter at Chaz Pearson. Chris, where can they follow you, my man? You can always follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Camelo. I'm on Instagram, C Camelo one. Uh, also be sure to follow us on at the outlet forum on Instagram and Twitter at the outlet forum. Chaz, another great show partner. Another great one, man. Well, until next week, we got NBA training camp and media day starting up by the time we come to you with another episode next week. So will Darvin Ham have a lot to say to the media? Will LeBron James publicly call out Robert Sarver and Adam Silver and his media day coverage? I mean, you got KD and Kyrie talking for the first time. You, you're talking all the people that were involved in trades from Jalen Brown to people that did actually got get traded and DeJounte Murray meeting up with uh, Trey Young, Luca. Uh, with media day this is probably the most exciting media day that i'm looking forward to in a long time and we're here to cover it for you guys all week next week so look out for next week's episode appreciate you guys listening and until next week peace